You know, guys, um, not last week. Last week was Christmas, but the week before that, we read in chapter 13 of John and verse 33, where Jesus said to his disciples, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. And, um, you know, you can imagine that that would have been hard for them to hear. Uh, we know that there are many things that were hard for them to hear. When Jesus would say, we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles and crucify me, and on the third day I'll rise again, you know. That was hard for them to hear, so hard that they didn't get it, even though they had heard it from Jesus on at least three different occasions. But the statement of Jesus, I will be with you a little while longer, prompted some questions. It prompted some questions from Peter. Peter asked in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? And then also Peter in verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? And later on, kind of beyond our text today, it prompted Thomas to ask, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And and I think that that's wonderful. You know, I think that we should ask questions. I think that as if we're truly, you know, students of the scripture, we want to be students of the scripture. When we read the scripture, we should be asking questions. Um, we should be seeking for the answers of those questions as we go through the scriptures. I, I look at these questions, you know, where, why, where, how, and I, I can't help but kind of sense the anxiety behind these questions. They want to know, you know, things are really changing. Where did Judas go again? What's going on here, you know? When things are changing, sometimes we get a little anxious. Jesus said in verse 3 of chapter 14, I will come again. Now that's important. It's important to our text. It's important to our Bible study today in this particular text. But Jesus said, I will come again. And we know from the gospel accounts, you know, we have the synoptic gospels. So we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we have, uh, you know, kind of their versions of the Olivet Discourse. So Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21. Um, we see Jesus speaking about coming again and things leading up to his second coming. And, and you know, I, I just said it. I think it's apparent, it's clear when you look at Matthew, when you look at Mark, when you look at Luke, that Jesus was specifically, obviously, speaking of his second coming. But John is kind of, you know, the unique gospel, of course. It's not like the other gospels. And uh, John, well, he has, he has his account of Jesus speaking of his coming. And, and we see it in our text. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. There it is. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he says, let not your heart be troubled. I think he said this because their hearts were troubled. Would your heart be troubled? I mean, think of, put yourself in Peter's sandals for a few moments here. The Lord tells you, hey, Peter, you're going to deny that you know me three times. 
You're going to deny me three times. You think that would be unsettling to hear? That would be really unsettling to hear. I remember before we moved up here, we were going through this thing, the leadership of our church, Calvary Chapel in Northern California, and we're going through this big ordeal and kind of, uh, you know, really an uncomfortable thing. And we had so many meetings trying to deal with this whole thing. And we ended up bringing in a, a mediator, a pastor from another church, and I had never met the pastor before. And as the pastor's kind of talking, all of a sudden he stops and he looks at me and he says, you, you're going to go through the dark night of the soul. And I looked at him thinking, what in the world is he talking about? You know, dark night of the soul. And then we moved up here to Pioneer Church and I, <laughs> I learned what it meant to go through the dark night of the soul. Anyway, let not your hearts, your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So, I don't think I need to point it out, but I'm going to point out the obvious because that's what I do. The remedy for a troubled heart is a believing heart. Do you feel anxious? Do you feel troubled about something? I mean, Peter felt troubled. Thomas felt troubled. I think that all of them probably felt troubled by the things Jesus had said. And so he gives them the remedy. He says, believe, believe, believe in me, believe in my father, believe in me. Now, I had made mention. So Matthew, all of it discourse, Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, their version of the all of it discourse, obviously, obviously speaking of the second coming, obviously speaking of the things that are leading up to the second coming. But when you get to John chapter 14, verses one through three, Jesus speaking about coming, was he speaking about the second coming? And you guys know where I'm going. If you've been around here for any amount of time, I don't believe he was. And I'll give you the reasons why in a moment here. Jesus told them, you know, he began to answer their questions. Jesus told them where he was going, my father's house. Jesus told them why he was going to prepare a place for you. Jesus told them, I will come again. This is very important. Has he gone? Yes. Will he come again? Yes. How do we know he'll come again? Because he said he'll come again. He said he'll come again. I think it's worth noting that Jesus spoke these words to the disciples and whoever else were there in that room as they were celebrating Passover and Jesus was teaching them. As he spoke these words to them, you'll note that these words, in a sense, were not fulfilled directly for them. Jesus didn't directly come back for Peter or John or Thomas or Bartholomew or any of the others. He spoke of a coming that's yet future. And so some would say, yes, obviously, he's speaking of the second coming. There's one coming, first coming, second coming. Come on. It's simple enough. Do you know, the reason I wrestle with this being a reference to the second coming is because there is a biblical sequence of events. We don't have to, you know, look all over the scriptures to kind of come together, you know, bring this, pull this list together. We need to go to one book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We need to read it as it's intended to be read, literally and chronologically. And we see that there is a order of things, starting with the second coming. The second coming. 
at the second coming. It happens at the end of the tribulation. We know this because the book of Revelation is clear on that. It happens in the midst of the battle of Armageddon. Jesus appears. Remember, all the nations of the earth come against Jerusalem, and Jesus appears there, his second coming. Jesus will destroy the invading armies who've come against Jerusalem at his second coming. That's number one. Number two, Jesus will then throw, according to the book of Revelation, throw the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. That apparently is the next thing on the agenda of, of these last day's events. Number three, Jesus will then throw Satan into the bottomless pit where he is kept chained up for a thousand years. So a thousand years chained up, Satan's chained up. You know what I'm referring to in the book of Revelation, don't you? And then number four, you have the millennial kingdom. Jesus will literally, I believe, rule on the earth for a thousand years, fulfilling prophecies like what we find in the book of Isaiah, where the wolf and the lamb will lie together, where the infant, the toddler, will put his hand in the viper's vent, a den and will not be harmed by these things. You know, there are people who say, believers who say that we're living in the thousand-year reign of Christ. If we're living in the thousand-year reign of Christ, Satan's chain is too long. And, um, and it's very disappointing because I don't see Jesus here on the earth. And yet when he comes, he will rule from Jerusalem over the entire earth for a thousand years. I believe that. I believe it's a literal thing, not a symbolic thing. There's a problem when you're constantly trying to symbolize the Bible because the symbols are always subject to change. And then you don't know where to put the pieces of the prophetic puzzle together if, if, well, this is symbolic, so how do we know this isn't speaking symbolically of this, or maybe it's placed over here or over there. But when you just simply take the scriptures as the scriptures are read, scripture upon scripture, precept upon precept, you know, then it's e easy to see the, the scheduled end times event calendar, you know. So then Satan, number five, will be let loose after the thousand years to lead a final rebellion. Now that's mind-blowing to think that after people live, you know, during the time longevity of life, we see that also from Isaiah, longevity of life. It will be like the Garden of Eden, you know, revisited. The people will still choose to rebel against God. So that tells us something. That tells us we're not subject to our culture. I, I grew up in a bad neighborhood. That's why I ran with the gangs and everything. No, the Bible says we're sinners, and that's why we do the things we do. So the problem is not our environment or our lack of this or too much of that. It's the sin. And, and of course, that's the message of hope that we find in the Bible, that Jesus came to remedy the sin problem which is a problem we all, we all have. And then number six will be the great white throne judgment, and that will involve all unsaved people. They will stand before God. This will be their final judgment. This will lead to their second death, which is something that no one wants to take part in. All of those whose names are not written in the book of life, the book of Revelation tells us, will be cast into the lake of fire, and they will remain there forever with Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. Horrible. 
And then number seven, it's interesting how there happens to be seven of them. Number seven, there's a new heaven and a new earth. I hope you're following where I'm going with this. If these sequence of events are taking place, Jesus comes to the earth. These things are happening on the earth. Then there's a new heaven and a new earth. When does the living believer, the living believer, go to that place that Jesus prepared for them? How do you fit it into the prophetic last days from the second coming on? How do you fit that time that the believer, the living believer, will be able to go to that place prepared for them? When will it happen? It doesn't fit. Now, you could easily say, well, that's symbolic as well, you know. It just speaks of heaven. There's a lot of Christians, and you wonder, and it's not a put-down, it's just an observation. You wonder if they ever really read the Bible. There's a lot of professing Christians that think we just live our life. We believe in Jesus, whatever that may look like. We don't take the time, many of us, to search the scriptures to see what that looks like. And then we die, and we go to heaven, period. And you think, what in the world are you talking about? There's so many other things that are happening between all of, all of these different events, all of these different experiences that are going to happen for the believer. It's not just heaven. In fact, did you know that we don't know what happens after the new heaven and the new earth? It kind of, st there's the period, well, what happens? Where do we go? Do we live on that new earth? Do we live in that new heavens? What is this all about? We have no idea. It's like, wait until further information or wait until we're there, you know. The point is, is that if we looked at this as simply speaking of the second coming, then we have a, we have a problem we have a problem with when. When does a living believer? You say, living believer? What are you talking about, living believer? Obviously, it's people going, it's people meeting Jesus, it's people being received by Jesus in death. Obviously, that's what it's talking about. Isn't that obvious? Keep your hand here and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because I want to read to you a text from which we get our word, our English word, rapture. It doesn't come from the Greek, it comes from the Latin. In the English, it's caught up. We have two words. It's harpazo. Paul, in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Do you know, guys, there are three things that Jesus, that not Paul, Jesus, that Paul, uh, I keep Peter, Paul, that Paul did not want his readers to be ignorant of. He did not want them to be, did not want us to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Isn't it interesting? The church seems to be so ignorant when it comes to spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He didn't want us to be ignorant about the strategies of Satan. Church seems to be so ignorant when it comes to the strategies of Satan. And yet, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. And he didn't want us to be ignorant about the resurrection and the rapture of the church. 
But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, note this, this is for believers. This isn't for everyone, this is for believers. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So those who are dead, those who have died in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's a sequence of events here. When this happens, when this event happens, first the dead in Christ, they, they will be physically and spiritually resurrected. They are with the Lord now, because remember Paul makes that clear for the believer, when we, we die, if you're in Christ, you're with the Lord. But there's going to be a physical resurrection of their bodies. So that will be the first thing. It says the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, there's that word, harpazo, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's important to know, always be with the Lord. And then we have the application of this this word. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So what was the problem? The problem was that, that Jesus hadn't come back, and yet Christians were dying, and their, their living loved ones were thinking, is there any hope for them? Jesus hasn't come back yet. He hasn't come to set up his kingdom, and they've died. Is there any hope for them? That was the question. And Paul says, oh, yes, there's hope. There's a sequence of events that will take place. The Lord will raise them up first, and then those who are alive when this event takes place shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You know what's amazing, interesting about 1 Thessalonians? In 1 Thessalonians, in every chapter, though when it was written there were no chapters, but in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, there's a reference to the coming of Jesus. Every chapter, it ends with a reference to the coming of Jesus. You know, Paul had only been with the Thessalonians for like three months. And yet he talks to them about what? Well, about <laughs> the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. That they could be comforted, that they could reassure one another. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10... Chapter 2, verse 19, chapter 3, verse 13, chapter 4, verse 15, chapter 5, verse 23. You have these references to the coming of the Lord. The rapture. What is the rapture? The rapture is the sudden removal, I believe, the sudden removal of all true believers in Christ from the earth. In the twinkling of an eye, do you remember where that source comes from? It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Do you remember the context? Hey, guys, you know, it's like anything. Context is important, right? 
In chapter 15, the context of chapter 15 is the assurance of the resurrection of the dead. Because there were believers in Corinth, they did not believe in the resurrection. And remember, Paul lays out that argument, you know, if Christ, if there is no resurrection, then Christ has not been resurrected. And if Christ has not been resurrected, then we're, we're hopeless. And then he gets to the end of this teaching on the resurrection. Same topic, by the way, that we see in 1 Thessalonians. And he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. What? We shall not all die, but we shall be changed, metamorphosed, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. This, our mortal bodies changing from mortal to immortal, perishable to imperishable. There's this metamorphosis, there's this change that's going to take place. Paul calls it a mystery. Why does he call it a mystery? Because it's something that it hasn't been taught in the New Te or the Old Testament. Of course, the second coming, first and second coming, were taught in the Old Testament. But here's something that wasn't taught in the Old Testament, but it's true. It's always been true. It's a mystery. That's another study that you might want to do, the mysteries. Paul has a number of mysteries that he talks about uh, in, his, in his epistles. They're really intriguing. Well, why would there have to be a rapture? Why, why is a rapture needed? You know, guys, we're not in the millennium. Christ is not reigning on the earth. The church is not going to make the earth so wonderful and powerful and take over government and arts and music and everything else, and we're going to usher in the, uh, <laughs> the second coming and the kingdom of God. This, this whole... Um, Kingdom now theology. The church is not Israel. We have not replaced Israel. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. There are Jews that are part of the church because they place their faith in Christ. Is God done with Israel? No, God's not done with Israel. God's still working in Israel. And Israel will be saved according to what the scriptures teach. Zechariah, they will look upon him whom they have pierced at his second coming. You read that text in Zechariah, it speaks of this being true of the king, this being true of the prophet, this being true of the, the Levite, the, 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 the priest, this being true of the mocker, Simeon, Simei, what was that guy's name? Shimei, Shimei, there's an H there, yes. Uh, remember he, when David was leaving when, during the Absalom rebellion and he's, his head's covered and he's barefoot and, and all those that are leaving with him. And wh why are you running, David? You're a warrior because this is my son. Why are you running, David? Because I have this coming to me. Why are you running, David? Because I don't want there to be civil war in Israel, in Jerusalem. And he, and he leaves. And then this guy comes out and he's throwing dirt and he's you know, calling David all sorts of names. And, and remember David, one of his mighty men, he says, you know, <laughs> let me go remove his head from his shoulders for you. You're a, you know, your majesty. And, and David said, no, maybe the Lord put this in his heart to say these things. Do you know that he's referred to in that reference that I'm giving you from Zechariah? Even the mocker will come to realize he is the one. 
Why is there a need for the rapture, the removal of the church? Because Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 is coming. You say, what is Daniel chapter 9, verse 27? It is the 70th week of Daniel. 77, 77 year periods of time were decreed, were determined for Israel, not the church. It has nothing to do with the church. It has to do with Israel to bring certain things to pass. 69 of those sevens have been fulfilled. 69 seventh, Messiah was cut off. The prophetic clock stopped. There's one week, seven years that are yet to be fulfilled. Where are they? Where are those seven years? Jesus spoke about those seven years in the Olivet Discourse. Matthew chapter 24. You go to the book of Revelation. And you know, guys, you don't have to be smart. You, you just have to be awake <laughs> to read the book of Revelation and say, here is the missing seven. I mean, it's like the Lord, it's like he, he, he's like, well, we say it, grace upon grace upon grace. It's almost like, if you just read it, I'll show it to you. He makes it so simple. He breaks the seven years in half, three and a half years and three and a half years. You know, for those of us that aren't good with math, you know. He breaks it down to the month, 42 months. He breaks it down to the days, to the very days. I mean, it's like you would have to, you know, your head would have to be in the sand to not see that this is that missing seven that Daniel was told about, that Jesus spoke about that the book of Revelation gives details of. Daniel was told, there shall be a time of trouble. Do you know what tribulation means? It means trouble. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Do you know what nation he's referring to? The Lord, the angel? Not the U.S., I have to point that out because I don't know what other nations are like, but the U.S., we, we have this, even when we look at bioprophecy, we want to put ourselves right smack in the middle of it like everything revolves around us, and it doesn't. It's not the nation of America or the U.S., United States of America. It's the nation of Israel. And it says, even to that time, Daniel was told, Daniel, a time is coming. Daniel, seal up the book. Daniel, they, they won't understand it now, but they will understand it. Who will understand it? Those who have a desire to understand these things, they'll understand it when, it when it's close, when these things are close to being fulfilled. You say, well, that doesn't sound like a pleasant time. A time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. Jeremiah was told that, that there would be the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob, who's Jacob? Jacob is Israel. It's Israel's trouble. It's not the church's trouble. The tribulation is not the church's trouble. It's Israel's trouble. Jesus spoke of the same time. Jesus described it this way in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, not ever or no, nor, <laughs> let me just read it. No, nor ever shall be. Do you catch that? Jesus says, listen, you cannot compare the tribulation to anything. 
Is it going to be as bad as a worldwide flood where God wiped out all of humanity except for eight people? No, it's going to be worse. Oh. Is it going to be as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah when, when God rained down uh, sulfur, you know, burning sulfur upon uh, the citizens of Sodom, the city, Sodom and Gomorrah? No, no. It's going to be worse. There is no comparison. You know, guys, listen, either we start reading our Bibles literally and we take them seriously because I believe that we're living in the last days. I believe that we are the last generation of the church here on earth. I think that the church has a, a time, you know, from the day of Pentecost until the Lord calls the church home. And then, of course, during the tribulation, there will be those who come to faith in Christ. They will come to faith in Christ at their own, I mean, literal risk of life. And many of them will be martyred because of their faith in Christ. It will be a hard thing to be a believer during the tribulation. So if you're holding out for that, I suggest that you don't. It's probably not a great plan. You know, guys, you might say, well, what does this have to do with anything? Again, the Bible. The Bible. What's the application, Paul? What's the application of that, that, that word that you shared with us? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Keep that in mind. Keep the application in mind. It's supposed to bring comfort. The tribulation is a time of wrath. We see that in, in the very beginning of the wrath being, you know, <laughs> poured forth in, in, in Revelation chapter 6. The wrath of God has come. It's about wrath. But the Bible teaches that Christians are not subject, we're not appointed to wrath. You say, oh, Dan, you always read these scriptures. I have to always read these scriptures because these are the things that bring comfort to me. Romans 5.9, much more than having now been justified or declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You'll note it's from, not through. If it was through, Paul would say through. You know, guys, Israel has a promise of being kept during the tribulation, of being protected during the tribulation. We know that some of the Jews will flee to Petra. But we, we have a scripture in Isaiah where the Lord says, come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your door behind you. Hide yourselves, as it were, for a little while. Listen, listen to the time frame until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. Does that sound like what Daniel was describing and what Jesus was describing? Of course it is. There is no other time that fits in this. The inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Listen to this, guys. This is last times. This is last day stuff. In that day, the Lord, with his uh, severe uh, sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan. Who? Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. And you say, what's that all about? Revelation chapter 20. Again, the Lord, so patient with his people. It's like, now I'm speaking of 
the devil, I'm speaking of Satan, <laughs> I'm speaking of, it's like he wants his reader to understand. Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. I think of the, you know, the Antichrist, the false prophet. One comes, it says, out of the sea. I think that's probably symbolic, maybe the sea of humanity. And other comes out of the, the land. Well, let me go on. The church is not subject to wrath. First Thessalonians, again, the same book where we had that word of encouragement from Paul. Chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven. What are we doing? What's the context? Waiting for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What wrath? What wrath? What wrath to come? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God did not, and that not in the, in the, in the Greek, it's an absolute negative. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not appointed. And then Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10 to the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. You know, the church that didn't have much strength. Man, if that's not the church today, I believe you're either in the church of Philadelphia or you're in the church of Laodicea today. We don't have great strength. But he promised them, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Guys, listen, are there many times that, <laughs> that, that this horrific thing is coming upon the world? Or is there a time? There's a time. There's not many times. These things are not going to continue in the new heaven and in the new earth. He says, that shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And you say, that's good news. Now that brings me comfort. Yeah, it brings me comfort. But there's a warning too. And here's the warning. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. That's good news. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. Listen. But the wrath of God abides on him. Guys, we need to understand theology. We need to understand what the Bible teaches about sin. How is it that we're not subject to wrath, us believers? Because the wrath that was due us was laid upon Christ as he hung upon the cross. Do we understand this? God, Father, pouring out his wrath upon Jesus, his Son, you know, if you think that it was just kind of, you know, this is kind of the spiritual transaction that took place. You know, abracadabra, all the sins now are washed away. No, the wrath that was due us was poured out on Christ. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, the wrath of God abides on you. You have no hope. You should not be comforted by anything that this world has to offer, or philosophy, or, or any lie told by men. You shouldn't be able to sleep at night, but there's a remedy. Place your faith in Christ. Live for Jesus. I mean, live for him.
you know, guys, when it's all said and done, when we're in his presence, none of us are going to say, you know, gosh, I wish I would have played more. I wish I would have vacationed more. I wish I would have, you know, you know, I'm sure that we'll say, I wish I would have witnessed more and, and, and prayed more, not played more, but I will come again and receive you to myself. Guys, listen, I'm almost done. I know that I'm, I'm this is a lot here. But when a believer dies, it is not the Lord coming to the dying believer. The Bible never speaks in those terms, ever. These are things that we say. This is our, you know, oh, the Lord's at the door. Go on, he's waiting for you, you know. Bible doesn't teach that at all. It's the believer going to the Lord. This is why true believers, you know, when they're close to death, they're dying. They know that they're dying. You know, they have cancer or whatever it might be. They know they're in the final stages of life. Believers, they say things like, I just, I just want to go home to be with the Lord. I want to go home. Again, listen, dying people don't wax eloquent, you know, philosophy. They're speaking what's truly on their heart. I want to go home. I know I have a home. I know this is not my home. It's being absent from the body, then being present. And that word present, it literally means to be at home. That's what it means. Being present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. But here in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, I will come again and receive you to myself. Jesus spoke of a coming, not to establish his kingdom, not to judge the nations, those things he will do at his second coming. But Jesus spoke of a coming that concerns only believers. Only believers. A coming which involves Jesus receiving his followers. And that word receiving, it literally means to receive near with oneself. Remember what we read? Once we're with the Lord, we'll never not be with the Lord, guys. Never not. So this whole idea that, well, Dan, maybe that's what it is. Maybe, you know, the second coming, the Lord will come back, and then that's when we'll meet him in the air, and then he'll just take us to, uh, you know, that place he prepared in his father's house. That's when we'll go there. I don't want to go there then and miss out on what's happening here during the reign of Christ. I mean, does that sound like a bargain? That sounds like you're missing out, you know. On, on, on something that the world has, you know, the world groans for. That's what Paul said in Romans. The earth groans for what's coming. Desiring to be liberated and to be locked up someplace away from it all? No thanks. No thanks. He speaks of a coming where Jesus will bring his own to his father's house. And I personally believe that that will be during the tribulation period. I believe that those who have died, yes, they're, they're with the Lord. If they place their faith in the Lord, are they in that place he prepared for them? Perhaps, most likely. But, but I think that there is a, a time coming when the Lord will call home his church. Guys, listen. God is not confusing, and he doesn't play games with his kids. And if the Bible tells us in detail when he's coming back, that we can mark it, 
Again, going back to the book of Revelation, the abomination that causes desolation. When the Antichrist sets himself up in the rebuilt temple and he presents himself as God and demands that everyone worships him. When does that happen? Well, the book of Revelation tells us three and a half years into it. What happens at the end of that three and a half years? The, the next three and a half years, you know, the second coming. The second coming. So if we were here and we we're able to witness the abomination that caused this lady, we'd say, hold on, guys. We've made it this far. I don't know how we've made it this far, but we've made it this far. All we have is three and a half years, and Jesus is coming. And then, and then he's going to call us in the air, and we'll meet him in the air, only to immediately come right back to the earth, because we're seeing if we are the armies of heaven coming with him to the earth. You see what I'm saying? I, if the Lord says no one knows the day or the hour, and yet there's other scriptures, now we surely don't know the hour, but we could kind of determine the day. Again, if we were here and we witnessed the <laughs> abomination that causes desolation, we say three and a half years. Do you know what hour? No. But I know it's three and a half years. How do you know? Because 77s were decreed upon Israel. And one seven hasn't been fulfilled, so there's seven years. How do you know? Because the book of Revelation, I read it, you know, and, and uh, I studied it, and it's a seven-year period of time that's coming upon the, upon the earth. See? So if his coming is like a thief in the night, but not to those who are looking for him, is it speaking of a coming that's imminent, that's not the second coming? I hope so. I truly do. We could pull up a slide. If you were to do a comparison of the obvious rapture text, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and you compared it to an obvious second coming text, which is Revelation chapter 11, verses 11 through 21, there is... There are no clear parallels. But when you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and compare it with John 14, verses 1 through 3, are you looking at it? Look at it. Isn't that amazing? The parallels. Troubled sorrow, believe, believe. God, me, Jesus, God, told you, say to you, come again, coming of the Lord, receive you, caught up to myself to meet the Lord, be where I am, ever be with the Lord. To me, it's stunning. Now, let me say this, because the alarm's gone off. I know my time is up. Let me say this. I hope that there is a rapture. I hope that the rapture, there, there is a rapture. Let me, let me rephrase that. There is a rapture. There is an event in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that will take place. So um, if it's speaking of the second coming, well, if it's speaking of the second coming, then as a Bible student, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer comforted. I'm, I'm wrestling 
I'm troubled. You say, what are you troubled about? Well, as someone who has believed in an imminent return of the Lord that has no need of any Bible prophecies to be fulfilled, there are many Bible prophecies that need to be fulfilled for the second coming, many signs. But the rapture of the church, if, if there is no rapture, if there is no removal of the church before the tribulation, then I wrestle with, what about I'm not appointed to wrath? I wrestle with, Lord, why did you give Israel a promise that they have chambers that they could go and hide in, but you don't promise us chambers to hide in? Unless he did? You might be saying, where? In 1 John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3? Is that the chamber? Maybe it's not here. It's in the Father's house that we hide in during the tribulation. If there is no rapture, the removal of the church, I need to emphasize that, the removal of the church before the, the tribulation, then, then I wrestle because I cannot identify with John's experience in, in John chapter, or I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, after these things, after these things, after what things? After the things pertaining to the church. Do you know the book of Revelation gives us an outline on how to study it? The things you saw, Revelation chapter 1. The things that are, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. The things to come after these things, you know, Revelation chapter 4, forward. It gives us an outline on how to read it. So after these things, after the things pertaining to the church, which, by the way, another intriguing thing, the church is mentioned 19 times in chapters 2 and 3, and then it's not mentioned again in the book of Revelation until you get to Revelation chapter 19, and we see the saints dressed in white garments, which are the symbols of the righteousness of the saints. That's interesting. Lord, you want us to be comforted. Where's our promise of escape? Where's our promise of, of I, I, can't, I can't identify with John. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, boy, it sounds so familiar, speaking to me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must, must take place after this. I can't identify with that. I have to go over to chapter 6, and I have to identify with those in chapter 6, Verses 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And I have to identify with those in Revelation chapter 7. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, and, people and uh, peoples and tongues, standing before the throne of God, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the earth, and to the Lamb. Uh, let me drop down. Then one of the elders uh, answered, saying, to me, who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? 
And I said, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night. My point is, the tribulation is going to be so horrific If this word of encouragement from Jesus and the word of encouragement for, from Paul, if it, if it was just saying, hold on, I'm coming again, second coming. Listen, if you happen to make it, believer, 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 if you happen to make it through the tribulation, when I come, I'll catch you up into the air. And you'll be with me. I mean, if that's it, if that's it, then that's it. Then we need to prepare ourselves. We need to mature. We need to grow. We need to grow up. Because I don't think any of us are equipped for persecution. When you read the things that are coming, you say, it's not going to be that bad. We live in the Northwest, the beautiful side of the Northwest, in my opinion. Um, we've got Baker we got Rainier. we got the Olympic mountain range, we got the Cascades over here. We are surrounded by huge mountains. If the book of Revelation is literal, these mountains will no longer be mountains. We live on an island. If the book of Revelation is literal, there will be no islands. <laughs> the islands will sink. They will cease to exist. I mean, when the Bible gives descriptive details of what's coming and you just say how could anyone possibly survive and I think Lord we say Maranatha come Lord Jesus why would we say that I mean if we're serious students of the word and if it's just simply the second coming that we're waiting for why would we say Maranatha that's silly We'd say, well, this needs to be fulfilled, and that needs to be fulfilled, and this needs to be fulfilled. And we know he can't come back because there's no temple in Jerusalem. But there will be a temple in Jerusalem, but we just have to wait until that temple is built in Jerusalem. Then we know, you see what I'm saying? Either he's coming as a thief in the night, no one knows the day or the hour. Or he's coming at an appointed time. And I say, yes. I say, yes, both are true. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Are you ready? You say, oh, here's the scare tactic. Tactic. It is a scare tactic. Because if you're not ready, you'll be left behind. You know, just because the world mocks it and laughs at it and scoffs at it and everything, there's movies about it and everything else and, you know, all of these things doesn't mean that it's not true. Look what they do to our Lord. And these are things that we should ponder. These are things we should think about. These are things that we should, we should look at our life and say, am I truly a follower of Christ? Do I want to live for him? Not just as an escape route, you know, but, but because he is worthy. I encourage you quite often to read through, Mario, come up, you guys come up, to read through the book of Revelation. And, you know, it's not just for all the... The, you know, the doom and gloom and all of that. But as you read through the book of Reve Revelation, guys, it is a book of praise. Do you realize that? Do you realize the book of Revelation is a book of praise? I challenge you the next time you read it. 
As you read it, you'll say, oh, this is a perfect praise that's coming. You say, well, how is it perfect? It's sevenfold. And it just goes on and on and on and on. It builds and it builds and it builds. And, and the angels who never cease saying, holy, holy, holy. And, 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 and you look at these things, and I, and I think, man, if, if these things don't interest us now, um, if they don't cause us to be in awe now, is heaven really the place for us? Home is where the heart is, Hallmark would say. But Jesus said it too. Would you stand with me? I pray, Lord, that our heart would truly be turned to you, Lord. I pray, Father, that rather than knuckling up our fist and digging in our heels and saying, oh, ridiculous, that we would at least be honest and say, I'm going to check these things out. I think of the stories, Lord, of men and women who got a hold of a Bible, began to read it to prove somebody wrong, and ended up coming to faith in the author because your word did not return void in their life. We pray, Lord, that there wouldn't be a person in this room or downstairs or in this building or listening online, Lord, that, that have not truly placed their faith in you. Help us to live for you. Help us to be ready. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.